Welcome to the Spotlight Series from the Do More Good Podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good Podcast. The Do More Good Podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good. Do Good, Do More. Do More Good Podcast. Do More Good Podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. listening. You are listening to the Do More Good Podcast. The Spotlight Series celebrates the stars of the sector. We're taking 20 minutes to talk about whatever topic is on their mind. Head to domoregood.uk forward slash spotlight to find out more and book your own 15 minutes of fundraising fame. Okay, here we are, James, back for another Spotlight episode of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? Kenneth, I, I tell you what, I am doing very well. We are recording this on a Friday lunchtime and I've had quite a busy week, so I thought I'm going to treat myself. So I went to the sort of cafe at the end of the road and got a takeaway. Get this, eggs Benedict. Oh, yeah, big time. Big wow. Time. I mean, that's wow. that's a strong lunch, right? That's good. That is certainly a strong lunch. In my house on a Friday, there isn't very much left in the fridge, so I'll be <laughs> scraping together probably a mouldy egg and some kind of greens that I can find in the bottom of the bottom of the fridge. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Very jealous, very jealous. Oh, well, send me a photo. Make sure you send me a photo. <laughs> you won't want to see that. Otherwise, all um, good? Yeah, otherwise, all good. All good, yeah. Glad it's a Friday and uh, looking forward to today's conversation. So today's guest kind of contacted us through the, through the website, so it's good to know that the email address does work. And just had a really interesting story and obviously has been affected by what's gone on this year. So we'd, we'd, lo- we'd love to get her on and hear more about it. So Joe Ashbridge, welcome to the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? Hi both, thanks for having me on. I'm doing well, thank you. I'm currently up in um, my homeland of Gateshead. The sun is shining and I've got uh, 30 minutes to chat with you. So, What's for lunch, Joe? That's the topic today. <laughs> I can't trump that, I can't trump that, but I think my mum's got some broth on. So. Oh, naughty lunch. Good. Love a good northern broth. Having, having been brought up in Newcastle, there was always a broth on. Always a big <laughs> pan of broth on there. <laughs> so Joe. Firstly, tell us a bit about yourself and, and, and what you do and, and your role in the sector. Yeah, I run a small architecture charity. My background is in architecture. Uh, we've been going for about six, seven years now, and we both work in the UK and in Bangladesh to improve living conditions. So that's everything from housing, improving housing standards for people, enabling people to access clean, safe water, and improving infrastructure. A lot of the things that we take for granted in our own lives are not necessarily accessible for, for many people around the world. So that's what we focus on. And why Bangladesh? A good question. Um, I've been working in international development now for about 15 years. And I was positioned out there to work with a local nonprofit about 12 years ago. Ended up is often the case a bit of serendipity one project led to another led to another and I ended up living and working there for about four years in a, in a rural village in the northwest and the rest is history I mean we had projects communities wanted to work with us there was a great need and we ended up setting Azuko, which is the charity I run right now. Joe and we as we talked about before we started recording we haven't really delved into the international development side of the of the sector I mean aware how how big it is and the and the great work that it does and the impact that it has but just going back a little bit for you how, how did you get into that area what was it that kind of excited you or or, or led you to, to be doing what you're doing today? 
So I was in architecture school. It was my third year. I'm someone who loves making, loves creating things, but particularly loves using my hands. My dad's a welder. And I came back from university one summer and he said, I was, I was sort of building a model on the table and he said, have you any idea how that roof is actually made? And it was a fair question because I could draw a mean drawing, but I'd never been on a building site. So in the UK, we are rarely, Joe Vlogs is rarely invited to a building site, <laughs> but overseas, there are a few more opportunities. So I ended up flying to Vietnam and working on a project out there along the Mekong uh, supporting people to, to improve their houses in an area that that suffered from quite a few landslides annually. And it really caught my imagination. It was like a different approach to architecture, not necessarily architecture with a capital A, you know, shiny buildings that win awards, but meaningful projects that change people's lives for the better. And the rest is history. So I started learning about the international development sector it's not something you're taught in architecture school I took a lot of unpaid jobs as many people do getting into the charity sector not something I necessarily agree with but it's part of my journey today just try to absorb as much information as possible and then over the years worked for various non-profits in various countries ended up setting up Azuko in 2014. I love that your dad says how is that roof going to work? And you get on a plane to Vietnam to get on a building site. He wasn't very happy about it. <laughs> that is an extreme reaction. I'm going to show you. Yeah, very good. Very good. And I like, I like your point there around how architecture here is maybe viewed as shiny buildings and Norman Foster redesigning King's Cross or whatever it may be. Or, uh, but actually, at its foundation, it underpins everything we do. It's, it's housing. Where yeah, we I mean, it's a basic right, access to shelter that keeps us safe. <laughs> And for me, architecture encompasses more than that big statement museum. Now, I'm not someone who thinks that's not architecture. That is. And I wish everyone had access to places and spaces like that. But it's just not the case. And actually, not that many people can afford an architect, can afford quality design. Um, where we work in Bangladesh, most people can't afford um, construction workers. So they build their own houses. Uh, and sometimes when you introduce yourself uh, it's coming from the world of architecture they ask what is that because they, they've never met that type of professional before so one of the things we, we we do is recognize that most people build their own houses but try and provide skills expertise tools and techniques that people can improve their own houses that they don't need this this expensive professional to come in to help them do that Mm-hmm. And Joe, we then we touched on it before before we started recording today. But obviously, like most organisations and most people, this year has been a real challenge. And I think you were saying in your email as the chair of the the small international development charities network that you a lot of you collectively have really struggled this year. Can you just talk us through a little bit about what those struggles have been like? Yeah, I mean, you've talked about it on your previous episodes, but this year has been catastrophic for the whole charity sector. I mean, it's facing an estimated 10 billion pound reduction across all funding streams, everyone's been affected. But there are a few groups within the sector that I feel are disproportionately affected. And one of those is is small charities that work internationally. So we're part of a network called Small International Development Charities Network, jazzy title. We're working on the acronym. And when when the crisis hit, there was just a lot of bubbling uh, conversations around, you know, 
funding doors are being closed to us from all angles. What's going on here? The, the government launched their charity support package, which in itself was quite paltry, 750 million. But our charities weren't even eligible for that. Mm-hmm. So we were seeing a huge reduction in funding, average 33%, a huge increase in demand for our services. And then we couldn't access any of those uh, funding mechanisms that were out there for our sector. So it's a really challenging time for small international development charities. And we ran a survey as our collective group a couple of months ago, and 45% suggested that they may not make it through next spring. So that's catastrophic if you consider the scale of our subsector within within the charity sector. So on the Charity Commission register, there are 10,093 small international development charities working all over the world in all continents. Now, 45% of those uh, do not survive this. You can imagine how catastrophic that will be for some of the world's poorest. Mm. Yeah. And you, you say that you weren't eligible for, for that, that money from the, the government. Why, why was that? Because you, you're, you're focused abroad? Correct. Uh, we met the criteria that we're all UK registered charities. Um, but though that, that support package was for projects delivered in the UK. So we simply couldn't apply for it. Right. Wow. Right. And there definitely feels like, I mean, if you watch the news, it's, if you put yourself through that every evening, then it's all focused on the UK, isn't it? It's all yeah, there's a there's a great need here. There's a great need here. It's not what we're trying to say in our campaign, you know, take it away from national and give it to international. Absolutely not. But I think it is important to, to come together and raise our voices and say, we too are UK charities. You know, we employ UK staff. We, we inspire thousands and thousands of volunteers and give them opportunities to, to share their skills, time, resources. And we serve some of the world's poorest. And right now, funding opportunities have been closed to us. So we're coming together. Thousands of us, small charities that you may never have heard of, were coming together behind a campaign called Small But Mighty. That's how we see ourselves, uh, to, to call on the government for, for support, really. Mm. And just before we go into that, Joe, and, and the Small But Mighty campaign and, and, and how you're pro- progressing with that, I just wondered if I could ask you, as, you know, as, a, as working for a very small charity, leading a very small charity, can you give us an example of how the pandemic has impacted you and your beneficiaries this year something real yeah in Bangladesh like many countries their first reaction was to impose lockdown and social distancing restrictions now that may be the relevant response for many countries but in the places where we work largely slum areas where that's densely populated communities it's simply not possible to social distance and we talk about handshake buildings you can be in your own house and shake your hand with your neighbor because that's how close you're living now these communities they can't social distance so they can't meet that rule and they don't necessarily have access to clean water sanitation you know basic supplies like soap and various PPE like face masks. So everything that they were being told to do, they simply couldn't do. And on top of that, they were told they couldn't work, they couldn't go out to work. Now, what happens is if you're a day laborer and you rely on that income every day and you're told you can't go out and work in the fields or in the construction industry is you can't put food on the table. So what we were seeing in Bangladesh was real issues around coronavirus and that spreading but actually the knock-on effects of coronavirus were just as as devastating for communities they couldn't put food on the table so there was huge food shortages 
Mm. We were seeing increased issues of abuse and child abuse. And, you know, people don't really know how to live with each other in that sense when you're locked in your own home for, for, for many, many months. Um, and also a huge impact on mental health. And we're still seeing that now uh, as we're facing a second wave here in the UK. They're still battling their first. Yeah, it's those secondary effects, isn't it? It's, it's really yeah. uh, devastating for communities, absolutely. And there is a point that even if you are fairly insular and only looking at the UK, or you're only concerned with the UK, actually, until this is solved worldwide, this is not solved. It's not over, is it? So this will continue to come back. And Right. It's not over anywhere until it's over everywhere, which is... Oh, that's point. much nicer. That I kind of <laughs> yeah, stumbled through that. That's a lovely line. I would love to take credit for it, but it's actually not myself. It's a, an incredible professor called Peter who works at the Tropical Medicine Institute. But that's it's really the message that we want to get across. This is a global issue. We can't close our doors. It's just simply not possible to, to lock ourselves in and, and try and contain this. We need to support friends across borders to ensure that we, we can all overcome this together. So tell us a little bit more about the Small But Mighty campaign. How long have you kind of been mobilising this, this group of charities? What's the kind of progress are you making and, and where are you hoping to, to get to with the campaign? We have been an informal network uh, since 2016, largely based on Facebook, sharing skills, resources, collaborating together. And then when the crisis kicked off, we thought, you know, we need to get a seat at the table and we need to formalise this. So we've now set up Small International Development Charities Network as a charity, a UK registered charity. And we have launched the campaign Small But Mighty, which focuses on our ask to the government, which is 50 million which we're proposing comes from our aid budget, um, the Overseas Development Assistance Budget. Now, just to give you a, a sense of, of what that is, it's currently 0.7% of gross national income. Now, if our national income goes down, which it will do, that contribution to aid also goes down. Um, and we just want a piece of that pie. Currently, it's around 14 billion. And we're asking for 15 million over two years, which is about 0.35%. So nothing they may seem like huge numbers but actually it's nothing of, of what we already provide to international aid and it would support thousands and thousands of charities and hundreds of thousands of beneficiaries communities overseas that need our help mm -hmm. and as, a, as, a, as working for a small charity how have you found that kind of trying to influence at that level i mean i understand bringing collectively obviously registering in a, as a charity yourself like, what are some of those challenges that you're you're finding in getting that seat at the table? This is all very new to us. Um, as right. you might imagine, <laughs> as small charities, we haven't previously had much engagement or discussion with government. We've brought on a lot of experts and people who are, you know, rallying behind us and, and providing their insights into how government works, how you might engage them. But there's, we're still, it's still a long way to go for us. We launched the campaign a couple of weeks ago. And right now we're trying to, to tackle it from two sides. One, as a collective, as a registered charity, to, to reach out to the powers that be, FCDO, the Treasury, those key players in government, as well as mobilise thousands of charities across the UK to reach out to their MPs and their supporters to reach out to their MPs. So there's just a, a, a voice bubbling across the whole of the UK and to say this, this is an issue and it, it needs to be dealt with and it's an important issue as well. Yeah, and how can people get involved? I guess head to Small, small But Mighty? 
Yeah, we've got a website, smallbutmighty.co.uk. Head there. There's a lot of background information in terms of who we are, what we're trying to do and what our proposal is to government, as well as a toolkit which people can use. Uh, We're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to get involved. There's, you know, a template that you can adapt to write to your local MP. There are social media and posts which you can just pick up and use and quickly tweet. There's copy. So we're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to get involved. But really, it's for people to raise their voice to say they're back in this campaign, that they see worth in small international development charities and that we too need support from the government. Well, Joe, that sounds brilliant. And hopefully there's people listening to this that will want to get behind and get involved. We'll certainly go and take a look and share anything that we can on our minuscule little Twitter channels and things that we have. But, you know, I just, I guess to say thank you for your, for your work and for reaching out for us. I think it's uh, it's obviously an area that, that as we said, we, we're not that familiar with, but it sounds like through the great work that you're doing that more need more needs to be done and more people need to be familiar with it and hopefully that will that will help you ultimately achieve what you want to achieve thank you thank you so much for giving the opportunity uh, you can see i'm very passionate about it and i could speak for a long long time <laughs> um, so yeah just thank you so much for giving us your your time um, no if worries. people wanted to hear you talk about this for a long time uh, where would they find you are you, are you on linkedin do you yes yeah, delve you into can... a bit of twitter yeah, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn uh, via Rizuko or via SIDCN. Always happy to start new conversations and, and learn from others as well. Cool. Lovely stuff. We better let James get to his eggs Benedict before they get cold. <laughs> well, I think the, the broth is on. So, yeah, we've all got, we've all got a head on. You're all very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Joe. Great to speak to you. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for tuning in to the Spotlight series from the Do More Good podcast. You can find our main episodes at domoregood.uk and we're on Twitter and Instagram at domoregoodpod. If you fancy featuring on Spotlight, then head to domoregood.uk forward slash spotlight and get in touch. We'll speak to you soon.